This week, my guest on the show is Janelle Blunt. Janelle is Associate Professor at Anderson University. She has a PhD in Cognitive Science, and she shares evidence-based strategies on how to learn better. And I think this is really interesting because those of us who've been through some form of train-the-trainer or we've learned about adult learning styles or how the brain works in terms of processing, retaining, using information, um, we find this interesting. At least I think we should because we're, we're training providers, we're selling what we know, and we're helping people to use information to do their jobs or to do whatever it is that that training needs to do. So this week, we're going to look at a range of things. What actually is learning? What are the kinds of latest findings? Or what does research tell us about how people learn, how we can make it engaging and practical and fun? How we can use things like uh, relational learning or practice or things like continuous assessment, retrieval to help people to learn. What does the science actually tell us about how people should be learning and how we can help them to learn as training providers? Lots and lots in this week's episode. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. This is the Training Business Podcast. If you are someone like me, if you're a trainer, a coach, a facilitator, someone who helps people learn, if you make a living from what you sell in the form of workshops or programs or keynotes or books, then this is the show for you because every Thursday, without fail, we've got experts on the show, authors, learners, trainers, people just like you and me. And the goal of the show is to help you on your journey as a training or a coaching provider. And if you make a living doing what you're doing or thinking about doing that, you're still in the right place. Every Thursday, there is a podcast episode. You'll find them always on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Stitcher, Spotify, or something else. And you can also find all episodes past, present, and future over at www.trainingbusiness.com. Janelle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. You have a PhD in cognitive psychology and describe yourself as a cognitive scientist. Is that right? Yes. my I, I see my job is helping you learn how to learn, whether that's at work or play, uh, the, the hobbies that you have. There are strategies and we use science to understand what is the best way for you to learn. So, I mean, you share evidence-based strategies and tips on how to learn better. I'd like to begin with that. Why the interest in how humans learn? Why does that actually matter to, to people? It's, a, it's an interesting thing being a person, right? So you have a whole lifetime of, of learning. So you start off in, in primary school and you learn and you, and you go through school and then you're at work and you're always learning. But the reality is we often don't stop to examine our strategies and we would never just cross a bridge and hope that someone, you know, that without having some kind of test and just hope the bridge is going to work. Uh, in the same way, we when we think about the mind, it, we want to know, is this a strategy that is evidence-based or is this just something that someone said worked for them? When we think of what we do, I mean, I'm someone who I would describe myself as a training provider, also coaching provider. Uh, we want to deliver training, learning, coaching, uh, facilitation that works. We want it to be engaging, fun, practical, 
understood uh, and retained. What are we not doing, do you think, in the case of most training providers? I think a lot of the times that there's a couple places where people go wrong. And the first is relying on experience. So okay, we, we all have the experience of being us and learning, but we don't necessarily know, am I successful because of this thing or am I successful because of that thing? Um, a lot of people that, that come to me have They've been successful, uh, but they don't exactly know what it is that has led to that success. And that's why I think it's so important to actually do an experiment, to take a control condition, to take an experimental condition, manipulate something, and then we can measure the effectiveness of something. So I think the first place where we go wrong is is not using evidence-based data to support the kinds of things that we're promoting. And the, the second thing, the thing that people default to is rereading. And that's a big thing that you're going to hear from me is rereading is, is on the lower list of things that are effective. So we mm. tend to think you, you read something or you listen to something, uh, you know, listen to the podcast, and then you, you know, maybe this podcast say, hopefully it's got some good tips. And maybe later down the line, you want to remember what we talked about. And so you go back and listen again. Well, instead, ask yourself, what was the podcast about? Go back and recall from your memory. And that's where the learning happens. We think about learning as, and there's these three stages, you know, in quote, encoding, consolidation, and retrieval. And we tend to think it's that first stage, that listening or reading stage where learning happens. And it is, but there's actually really powerful benefits of going back and reflecting and re recalling from your mind rather than just reading something. So that's kind of the second place I see us going wrong. Okay. You've, you've mentioned something quite interesting there, three things I hadn't heard before in that way, which is one, encoding, mm -hmm. two is consolidation, and three is retrieval. I think I've got the, the third one and the second one. Talk to me about encoding so that yeah. the brain knows perhaps, is that what it means, where to file information, how to treat it? Encoding is our, our cognitive science fancy speak for like that initial learning process. So okay. suppose you're listening to this podcast right now, and these are some new ideas to you. Uh, that is encoding. It's kind of like hearing it, taking it in for the first time. And there's different ways we might encode information. Maybe you want to remember something. So you, you think about how it applies or connects to your work. I hope you are doing that. I hope you are thinking, what's the latest training I did? And, and how is that? fitting with what I'm hearing right now, that's all encoding. That's good. We should do that. And don't stop there. Reflect back. You'll wait a day or two. Think, what did we talk about? What are the key points I hope to remember? And quiz yourself. That's that third stage. I think many of us in the business of training perhaps focus on the first to the detriment of the second two, because we think that training is about our materials, our workbooks, our videos. So we focus on the encoding, as you call it. And we might neglect the consolidation. Perhaps we think that's the job of learners to do, um, or we're not involved or asked actually to bid on work to help to consolidate that further. And then when it comes to retrieval, we're perhaps not even thinking of that. So if we're to, let's say, design training holistically from beginning to end, so I sell to a company, some corporate client training where I'm focusing on proper encoding. Secondly, I'm helping to consolidate that. And I'm also helping my clients who are paying for my services to retrieve that when their learners need that. How would that work, do you think? 
Yeah, I think a, an easy way to do that is to, throughout the training session, uh, give people a chance to reflect back on things that have already happened within that session. If you've got a multi-day training session, that's a really good time on that second or third day to kind of, instead of saying, you know, we, we like to get up there and say, like, in our first session, we learned this and this and that. Instead, say, what are some things you remember? And the key here is to wait it out because we often, it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't remember anything. Well, have you given yourself a chance? Yeah, I've waited 10 seconds. Well, wait a little bit longer. And as the person giving that training or, or teaching that lesson, it can feel really painful. Like every second feels like a minute. But if you give people the time and space to remember what they actually remember, then that's when the learning happens. And it feels a little uncomfortable uh, for both the, the trainer and the trainee, but give yourself that time and that, that space to practice retrieval. So you have your finger on the pulse in terms of, of how people learn and strategies to help people to learn better. What is the cost to business of, of investing in training or coaching that doesn't work where people have had this download or dump of information, but there's no way of saying, well, are they still using it? Have they retained it? Uh, have they consolidated that uh, information into a way that helps them to do their job better? I think when you're only focusing on that initial encoding stage, the, the problem is you feel really confident. Uh, you're, we, we use the word metacognition and cognitive science. That's thinking about thinking. So after a training session, you feel like, oh, yeah, I've got this. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, you go to actually run that analysis in your office and you, you don't remember. So you're, you're looking at losses of productivity. You're looking at uh, losses of confidence and how you feel about your work. And I think ultimately when you're trained on something, you put all that time and money into it and you don't retain anything. It's, it's really negating a lot of those benefits. So this could be something that the trainer can help incorporate. And it could also be something that the attendee, it's that kind of responsibilities on them to say, all right, yesterday I did this training. I've let some time pass. What are the three main points from each kind of session? So you can, you can prevent some of that loss in productivity by using retrieval and spacing out your learning. And in, in what way has COVID impacted that um, or even compressed that, uh, that process? I, I know that prior to COVID, people had time for half-day training sessions and maybe sometimes full-day training sessions, but increasingly people want more micro-learning or um, short learning and uh, might not be so keen on or able to justify why someone should be spending time re re retrieving things as opposed to learning new things. I think the the beauty of something like retrieval practice is that it applies whether you're virtual or in person, whether you're a kindergartner or a successful business person at 50, it, it applies to everyone who's trying to learn something new. So in a sense with COVID, when you're thinking about micro trainings, a one benefit of a training like that is that breaking it up into smaller pieces spaced over time will improve your learning. A downside could be uh, multitasking, right? So if you're on your computer, you got one monitor going here on your right and the other monitors on the left and they don't see you, it's it's easy to, to fall into this trap of thinking that we can multitask. But the reality is, um, as my colleague, Dr. Agarwal likes to say, it's multi-failing. <laughs> so it, multitasking doesn't work. We know that from tons of experiments in cognitive psychology, it, it doesn't work. So I could see that being a pitfall of some kind of online training. 
that's not to say you can't multitask when you're in person because you can very easily do that too. It's really tempting to multitask, isn't it? Yeah, the temptation is definitely there when you got that second monitor and no one's watching you. Yeah, or the phone. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, for those of us who've been through some form of train the trainer, we've learned about um, uh, Kolb's work or Honey and Mumford or or Fleming and, and so on. Um, some of my audience have said to me, some of these things are now kind of old hat or outdated or even debunked in the case of one of the things I mentioned. Um, what is actually hot right now and, and validated scientifically? As far as learning goes, the, the things that you want to do, the, the two big hot ones right now, um, and I hope that it's not just like a, a phase because this is this data to, to back up claims like this, uh, retrieval practice is number one and spacing your learning. So uh, right. what that might look like in a training session is uh, we want to be clear and organized and that's good. Please be clear and organized. And also um, you got to give people a chance to mix up their learning. So I'm going to, I'm going to use a math example, which is going to okay. seem a little weird, but I think it really drives the point home. If you're learning about triangles and you know, you say your elementary math class, you learn about Pythagorean theorem then you might learn you know, a nuanced version of like similar triangles. Maybe you learn rise over run. And what happens is, and the analogy here is classes like the training. So you learn Pythagorean theorem, you learn the next one, but then on the test, all you see is a triangle problem. And this, and, and you don't know, is this Pythagorean theorem, which, which one am I supposed to use? You know with Pythagorean theorem, okay, now you can run with that. But this happens in a training session. When you teach, oh, when you block your practice like this, uh, you are already given the the problem. But when you're at work, when you're at your desk, you have to find the problem before you can start on the solution. And so that's where interleaving and spacing your learning can help instead of mm. just, uh, I think you got to start that way, block the problems. Okay, let's do Pythagorean theorem until we get it right. Let's do similar triangles until we get it right. But then I'm going to throw you a curveball. I'm going to give you a triangle problem and you have to decide which, which theory do I need to use, which approach. So that's interleaving. That's another powerful approach. Yes. And, and we'll come into those individual techniques in a second. I guess what I'm trying to do here is, is uh, sound you out and whether you think that um, VAK is, uh, is one of those things. Uh, people have said to me, don't teach anything about visual or auditory or kinesthetic. That's been scientifically debunked. I mean, and I, yet yeah. I've had trainers say to me, no, 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 that, that applies. And I still teach it that way. Okay. I, I see where you're going. Yeah. Um, when I have a question about what works and what doesn't work, I like to turn to um, data and see what mm. do data say. And there's experiment after experiment have, have failed to demonstrate the effectiveness of catering a style of learning to your preference. We mm. know that preferences are real. So if I took a, you know, a test that identified if I was into visual, auditory, or kinetic, um, I might say kinetic, right? Which isn't going to surprise anyone. I'm always like waving my hands around. She's kinetic. Um, I love doing things. And the good news is it doesn't matter how you give it to me because I'm going to learn equally. I may feel like I'm learning best one way, but the reality is uh, the good news is you don't have to worry that, okay, we got some kinetics over here, some visuals over here. Um, the best for your learning is actually a combination of as many things as possible. So we don't want to uh, just read about something. Imagine you're trying to increase your interpersonal skills, for example, and you only read a book about it. 
you're not going to be as well prepared as unless you read that book and then actually did some role playing mm -hmm. that doing experience, maybe looking at a visual flow chart. You want as many things as possible. And we call that dual coding. So rather than learning styles, I like to think about dual coding. And while you're at it, put that retrieval spin on it. And now you've got yourself a really good opportunity for success. So it sounds like the more, it's not the modalities themselves, and it's really hard to say which ones work for some people. I'm not scientifically minded in that sense, but it sounds as if you're saying the more we do, the more different approaches we try, just having more modalities or more ways of using information in our brains actually helps us to learn quicker. Right, like more uh, different types. So don't just right. read it also look at it and it doesn't matter and it's it's about that's for everybody whether you identify right. as a kinetic learner or an auditory or a visual learner um having a variety is going to benefit you not just because you're finding something that matches but because a variety of approaches is what works for everyone one of the the pitfalls i see with learning styles and in, in my work is that some people uh, they might take a test like that and then they they feel like oh well i'm a visual learner and this guy's talking or it's a podcast i i can't learn from this podcast because i'm a visual learner and if you're thinking that right now i have good news for you and it's yes you can so um that that's good news it if we think like that that encourages a growth mindset and when we think like uh, oh, well, I can't learn because that's not my style. That really confines us into a fixed mindset. Yes. And uh, fixed mindset is not conducive to, to learning when we think of um, all the different styles that we can introduce. So as trainers, as people who are responsible for delivering programs to clients, corporate or otherwise, we should be thinking of ways to um, make learning more interesting, interactive, uh, giving people the chance to do things uh, retrieve things. And it's funny because I read a book uh, during my very brief holidays this year on accelerated learning. And it talked mm -hmm. about uh, multimodal learning, relational learning. I think mm -hmm. you mentioned uh, retrieval practice or distributed practice. Yes. Continuous assessment, micro assessments. Yes. Um, are all of these things equally important? Does one stick out more than the other? Oh, uh, that's a great question, Mark. Um, I my favorite approach is retrieval because it's so mm. easy and it doesn't require any radical change. Um, okay. I, I also think the same about what distributed practice. I call that spacing. Uh, you're capitalizing on the time that you have available without needing to say, well, I used to use, you know, this, this paradigm and now I've got to shift. Um, no, just keep doing what you're doing, but don't repeat yourself as a trainer rather than saying, remember how we talked about X, Y, Z, you say, all right, take a moment. Maybe you do that in the, in a form of some kind of poll that people can respond to a multiple choice. Maybe you give them time and paper to write their thoughts for two minutes. Maybe they do think pair share uh, the idea is you keep doing what you're doing, but just do it from memory rather than like, you know, retelling people, let people have that opportunity. And so in that sense, something like retrieval is just, it's really powerful. So people have to therefore be given the chance to retrieve, not just to cement something on top of that, that there's a time for that, but to give them chance to space learning out and then take something they already know and, and think about that in a different way or apply it in the, in the form of real play or role play, that kind of thing. That's, that's retrieval. Yeah, so you can you can do anything that you normally do can pretty much be converted to a retrieval activity okay. by just removing 
the material. So rather than uh, okay, here's your training pamphlet, uh, review page five. No, we're gonna we're gonna say like what did we talk about in that session on topic X? Okay, give it a moment and then you can go back and look at the manual. Rather than using that as a reference, really see what you remember. What do you remember from that role play? Like, can you do it again without the flowchart? Um, okay, now let's bring up that flowchart. We can so we can do it. We can read it. We can have the visual. It doesn't matter as long as you're trying to do it from memory, because that's what you need in real life. In real life, when you're back at the office, um, when you're out on making that sale, you, you're not going to be you know, reading the manual while you're like talking yeah. to someone trying to make a, a pitch. No, you, you need to be able to do this from memory. So let's practice that now. It's a, perhaps a dangerous question to ask because AI is such a fast moving thing. Have you seen in your role as, as a scientist, what, what some of the early trends and how AI is influencing how people learn, how people retain, how people use, how people practice and retrieve? Um, that's an interesting question. I think there's lots of opportunities with AI and, you know, check back in in a week and I'm sure there's some new thing out there that, you know, so <laughs> it, it is, you're right, it's a dangerous question, but I'm up for it. One thing that I have enjoyed about AI is uh, I have used it and encouraged some people to use it uh, judiciously to practice retrieval. So mm. I, I teach an introductory psychology class. And for a lot of students, it's a totally new way of thinking. It, it's hard. Um, maybe you can relate to something new that you've learned that's a different way of thinking. And um, you can actually get a chat bot going and say, quiz me over social psychology. So you kind of got this personal tutor. Now, ah. uh, so rather than like, fearing how AI is doing thinking for us, I have a really optimistic perspective that like, let's harness those tools for learning. It's um, not always going to be right, which is, and if there's bias and all those things built into it, but I believe that we can use technology and adapt to technology uh, to keep using effective strategies rather than you know, being reliant on going back in a training manual. You could even take a training manual, say, quiz me over this manual. There you go. Your own personal tutor over a, a specialized topic. Why not? Give it a go. Let me know. I can't wait for that. And and particularly <laughs> with with language learning, I can see how an app where you can talk for hours or as long as you yeah. want to uh, yeah. and have someone correct you on your punctuation, syntax, grammar, spelling. Yeah. Um, what and, and a great a example. Yeah. yeah. I, I just love that. Now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about all the fun ways you could use that as a language learning, because think about what's more effective rereading, uh, you know, Spanish to English vocabulary words, for example, and, uh, like, or actually having that conversation, but right. So like have the conversation with AI, it's pretty good at language. I love that, Mark. I love that thinking. I can't wait to see what's coming down the line. Um, it's, I'm curious because some of the works which have been, or the work, which is attracting um, a lot of attention in the media is still a subject of how the brain works. You know, we're around several million years, yet we're still fascinated with our own minds. I mean, I think of uh, the waves that uh, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, caused. Why is it that we're still learning about how to use our own brains in, in the 21st century? Uh, I think we're, you're going to be at it for quite a while. I mean, it's really fascinating. You got this like three pound chunk of meat that's like a cottage cheese texture and it's responsible for you know why I chose to marry the person I married and and why I chose to be a cognitive psychologist and what yogurt I pick out I and mean, that's all this like three pound essentially cottage cheese textured thing in our brain yeah. that's fascinating I mean think about 
the size of the first computers back decades ago and how big they were and how little they could do compared to what our brain can do. It's fascinating. I mean, it, it, makes it is. Take a while to unpack that. It is. And um, I think of some of the books in my library and the ones I often recommend to people in, in, in sessions would be things like um, The Chimp Paradox by Professor Steve Peters, all about, again, the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and uh, the, the idea of the limbic system and how it works and how it impacts uh, how we function in our relationships with people. Many coaching clients have said to me, that's mind-blowing. Um, Surrounded by Idiots uh, by Thomas Erickson, the uh, guy who wrote that book, uh, looking at uh, practical applications of DISC. Mm-hmm. Um, we seem to be so, you know, in love with with literature on how our own minds work. And uh, I'm often intrigued by that. You know, you would think that by now we'd have figured out how we all learn, how we all should think, whether it's fast or slow, um, how to retain, how to memorize things. Yet we're all seem to be, we seem to be struggling in some respects. And uh, I'm curious why that is. Um, uh, yeah. Well, if you figure that out, you let me know. Cause I would love to say, I knew the guy who <laughs> figured that out, but uh, yeah. it, it's the golden question. Um, it's a complicated, it, it's a fascinating, complicated structure. When I think about, when I think about it, like memory, for example, where are memories stored in the brain? Ah, that's a very tricky question because I can put you in a scanner thanks to the developments in our you know, computing technology. And I can see certain areas of the brain more or less active, but what we kind of, the general thing that we know right now about how you learn information is it's kind of consolidated processed in the hippocampus. So what we think of as the memory area but then that information is, and I'm going to use the word stored for lack of a better word, it's, it's stored in the cortex. But that's confusing yeah. because it's not a replica. People think of our memories as like a recording, but that's in fact not the way it works. Because if so, then how could we have things like false memories? How could you retrieve something incorrectly? A great, a great paper from the 70s looked at this by having participants draw a picture of a penny. So people are very familiar with a, a penny. You know, these were all um, people in the United States and they're, you know, they're handing their pennies out left and right in their daily lives, but no one knows what it looks like. And two thirds of people draw the guy facing the wrong way. In the same way, a, a few years later and decades later, someone redid this with the Apple logo. Okay. Simple logo. Lots of people can recognize it, but uh, I, I challenge you to think about like, what does that logo look like? Is there a smooth bottom? Is there is there a bump on the bottom? Which way is the leap? Is, this, is there a step? That's a great question. How often do we see that logo? But I mean, so what's happening neurologically? Do we have like a thousand different Apple logos stored in our brain? It, it doesn't, when you think about it like that, it doesn't make sense. So the idea is that when you retrieve something, each time it's a reconstruction. It's it's more like, I like to tell people, uh, memory is more like a dinosaur, less like, um, you know, like a glowy blob that you kind of put in front of you and, and retrieve like the movie Inside Out. The reality is something is stored somewhere. We know that has to be the case, but it's not complete. So just like we find dinosaur bones and then we reconstruct what we think they look like and kind of go from what we've got, that's how your memory works. So you might start with something, we call this a trace. So there's a a trace stored somewhere in the brain, like we know the Apple logo is, shockingly, an apple. And and then we kind of go from there and we're like, well, I don't know, maybe the leaf to the left or the right, maybe it's got, I don't know. You reconstruct it each time you retrieve it. 
fascinating. You reconstruct that thing in your mind each time you access it in, yeah. in the brain. Interesting. Right. So that's so, why you can look yeah. at someone and, and be like, oh, hey, Matthew, how are you? And it's like, shoot, your name is Mark. How did I forget? <laughs> you know, like you're reconstructing yeah. it, right? So okay. it's not that I have like, you know, 15 different versions of you stored in my head. It's it's a reconstruction. I got part of it right, right? Like maybe I got the M, but I reconstructed wrong. Oops. You know, that's that's a totally normal thing because each time you remember something, you're reconstructing it. it. It is. It is fascinating. And that's something we can all do more of. And I'm often intrigued by how when training providers don't just say we have, you know, information in the form of a course or some kind of online learning, um, but but we're, we're actually using the latest scientific methods to impart this information and help you retain that. That, that seems to stick out in clients' minds. Um, if you were to give a tip to people who want to know more about how people learn so that they can embed this or apply this to how they develop learning products and services, what would you say? I would direct them to a website called retrievalpractice.org. Pretty straightforward. Okay. And there are some guides there. And it's geared towards uh, educators. Um, but the way we learn, whether it's in school or playing piano or learning a language or for business, is all the same principles apply here. And the idea is there's there's guides that are short with images that are going to walk you through some various evidence-based techniques. I love this website because you're getting only evidence-based uh, scientifically conducted experiments, like that's what you're going to get at retrievalpractice.org. Retrievalpractice.org. Janelle, where can people find out more about you and connect? Um, well, I've got a LinkedIn learning course that will walk you through um, a whole bunch of different ways, an, an hour-long course. That would be my number one recommendation if you've got that. I know, Mark, that's how we connected. Yep. Um, so that's that's my go-to great concise two minute videos like why should you sleep uh, what's the how do i space my learning why did i forget that meeting with my boss last week and how can i not do that again those kind of things head on over to linkedin to, to learn more Janelle, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show thank you for having me mark my sincere thanks to janelle for being my guest this week on the show and you, of course, can find out all about the links that we have discussed over at trainingbusiness.com. I'll provide those in the show notes as well for this week's podcast episode. If you have any questions or suggestions for episodes like this, then feel free to email me. Mark at trainingbusiness.com is my email address. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. Otherwise, please subscribe, click on follow, whichever you can do on your podcast platform and you can expect a fresh episode next Thursday. Until then, keep going. See you soon. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.